uh, as we come to the second part in our series called And Breathe. And I love that heading. I love it as a title. I didn't think of it, so I can say that. I really like the fact that actually in the middle of January, when many of us are fraught in a whole host of different ways, we can just, as Tim reminded us last week, just breathe. And the Holy Spirit takes a load off, as we hear in this passage. It does the work that we frankly can't. And so I hope that as we get into the nitty-gritty of this passage a little bit, that you remember and breathe. Let us get into this brilliant passage, the words of Jesus in John 16, where he's telling us about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's telling his disciples, who, as Tim said last week, must have been traumatized to suddenly realize he really was leaving them. But this brilliant news that he was leaving behind them an advocate, a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would never leave them, who would always be with them. And isn't it amazing that as we pray now, as we pray even tonight and through uh, the next few days, all over the world, the Holy Spirit will be active on our behalf of our prayers. That it's not on us, it's on him. So much for us to look forward to. Now, we heard last week about the wind of the Holy Spirit, and uh, it just reminded me that some of you might have seen this. It's always in my office. Um, it's in my office not because I am a keen sailor. Um, I mean, I do like being on the water, for sure, but I wouldn't be described as nautical. Um, but I do keep it there as a reminder that it's not really me leading. It is the Holy Spirit's work in me that actually as we set our sails into the wind of his spirit, he leads us. And what we hear in this passage is that we can live a life of purpose. We can live every day in the light of the revelations of the Holy Spirit, the secrets that, as Jesus says here, he will confide in us, he will share with us as our days go on. There's a great quote, which is on the blog actually, by Karen A. Ellis, that says this. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's not watching us move through this stream of history. He is actually navigating it with us through his Holy Spirit. And I love that because there was a terrible song, uh, forgive me if you're a Cliff fan, I know there are many out there, including my sister, if you're watching. She's a big, big fan. Um, but there was this terrible song, God is watching us from a distance. Does anyone remember that? I really don't believe that. Sorry, Cliff. Um, but I really don't. Because God is in amongst it. He's with us. He's with us in the mess. He's with us in our struggles. He's with us in our trials. He's in the midst of it. And as Karen Ellis says beautifully there, he's actually navigating our days with us through the Holy Spirit. We have a purpose. And we pick up the story with the words of Jesus in John 16 as he outlines three things that the Holy Spirit will do. The first is he will convict. He will convict. That might not be our favourite one, but it's true. He will convince us and he will bring revelation. So those are the things that Jesus says in these few verses that the Holy Spirit will do when he's gone. Now, the good news for us is that the word that is used for convict and convince that Jesus uses is the same. It's called elegin in the original, which means both to convict and convince. 
So the Holy Spirit, wherever we are today, has the power to convict us of our sin, to actually prompt us about an area of life where perhaps a shadow has fallen or we've, we've picked up an old habit or we've picked up an old thing that we wanted to leave behind. He can convict us, but it's a double-edged sword because not only does he convict, but he convinces us that actually we're rescued by the righteousness of Jesus. And I think often we hear half a message. I grew up in my life hearing half a message. And many of us the same, as as we heard from Tim last week. We grew up thinking that Christianity was try harder, do better, be a good girl, be a good boy. And I spent 19 years of my life on that moral tightrope falling off as many of us, I'm sure, did, trying hard to be the good one, knowing that my sister, as some of you know, was born angelic and I wasn't. You know? And I lived with that comparison because I thought that's what a Christian looks like. I'm certainly not looking like that or behaving like that, so I'm the other. I'm the naughty one, and certainly my reports bore testimony to that for years. In my end of year nine, I had a letter home to my parents to say my behaviour had become like a wild animal. <laughs> now, it was Tiffin Girls Grammar School, so I mean, it's all relative, but clearly, <laughs> clearly something had gone a little bit awry. And yet, I wanted to please God. I remember being taken by the hand to rallies and thinking, this will be the moment Jesus, you know, Jesus touches Judy's heart. And I'd be there and, and maybe to please others, I'd go to the front going, I'm here. If anyone's out there, nothing. And I just thought, well, maybe my heart's too hard for this business because it doesn't work for me. Or I'd try praying the prayer at the end and then say, actually, to be honest, I don't feel any different, should I? And go to school the next day and feel exactly the same. And it was only when I was 19 that the Holy Spirit did exactly what Jesus tells us that it will do here. He did both. He convicted me of my sin, yes, but he convinced me that he was my saviour. That he'd taken it all on his shoulders. That on the cross he had forgiven me of everything And he had a new life for me to live, a new mission, a new purpose. And I was worthy of it. Why? Not because of me, but because of him. And throughout scripture and throughout the Bible and probably throughout many of our stories here, where would we be without the Holy Spirit? We need his work in us. And can I just say, and I have said this before, but for years I believed that condemnation was the same as conviction, It really isn't, is it? Condemnation says you're worthless. You shouldn't even be a Christian. What are you doing at church? Call yourself a good parent, you're not. All of those words of condemnation are not God's voice. God's voice is, yes, you're broken. Yes, you're sinful. Come to me. I can rescue you. I can heal you. I can mend you by the power of my Holy Spirit. So he convicts us and he convinces us. And this is another legal term, a bit like we heard last week with advocate. This is a kind of cross-examination term that he deliberately uses because it was known for defence and prosecution. So yes, we know we're sinners. And if you are in any way tuning in today or you're here in this room and you feel shame, and many of us live with shame, with stigma, he wants and longs to take away our shame. And we can be convinced today, and as we have a prayer time afterwards, let him convince you afresh that he loves you, that he wants to use you, and that you stand pure in front of him. 
In verse 8, we read this. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt, well, we know that's true, in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, the second part of that, convict and convince. There's a beautiful story of an Indian missionary going to an Indian village where no one had heard at all about Jesus. And he does these old slideshows. Anyone remember slideshows? Yes, when it was projected onto the wall or the screen. Well, he does a, a, a slideshow onto the wall of this uh, little house in the village, and he gathers the village together, and he shows a picture of Jesus on the cross, hanging on the cross. And a man starts to sob. And he starts to say, it should be me hanging there. Come down. It should be me. It should be me. And starts to sob. Just with this Indian missionary going to say, here's a picture, just a piece of art, if you like. But something of the Holy Spirit says to him, Jesus died for me. And at that moment, his spiritual Christian journey begins. Why should an image of a man in Palestine 2,000 years ago have that effect on a heart? But it does because of the Holy Spirit. Because he convicts and convinces us. I was at Spring Harvest France back in the day and uh, speaking away on this very subject of forgiveness and Jesus giving us a new start. And a lovely young girl who had some additional needs, I think, ran to the front of the, while I was talking, and there was a big cross here at the front of the marquee, and she threw her arms around the cross and just held on crying. And I almost wanted to just go back to my seat because I thought, well, job done, really. You know, it's not really much about what I can say now because look what she has shown us. It should be me, but it's Jesus. The Holy Spirit had captured her heart. And maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, she'd realised he took my place. In the book of Acts 2, which some of you will be familiar with, it's, it's an amazing time where the early church is birthed, where they receive the Holy Spirit for the first time, Pentecost we call it, and it's an exciting time. It's a time of fire and flames. And can I just say that actually, interestingly, we heard last week about breath, and we, heard, uh, we hear frequently about the Holy Spirit being uh, compared to water, but we also have it compared to fire. As I said, in the room, just think of that. Uh, imagine it there. Um, fire. And what does fire do? Well, fire destroys, but it also refines, doesn't it? It's dual purpose. It refines and it destroys. And it also spreads. And the purpose in this good news that Jesus is sharing with these early disciples is once the Holy Spirit has convicted and convinced you your purpose in life changes. Because our primary purpose from that moment in, whenever it was, whether it was gradual for you or suddenly for you, becomes, let's spread this good news. Let's share it because we're participating in something amazing that the Holy Spirit is doing. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, we hear in Acts 2, both Lord and Christ, and when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the brothers, what can we do? 
So in other words, as soon as they're told, they've received the Holy Spirit, as soon as they're told that Jesus has taken their place, the first thing they do is they're cut to the heart. Like our guy in the mission village or our girl at the front, they're cut to the heart. But then, if you like, they get up and say, okay, what can we do? You've broken my heart because you've died for me. You've forgiven me. You've given me a fresh start now. What can we do? What a brilliant summary, actually, in those few verses from Acts of what it is to come to faith in Jesus. We know we're sinners, but we're convinced of the righteousness of the Saviour. And it's not about shame without a solution. This passage is about shame with a solution. It's not about condemnation. It's about being convinced and being uplifted by the work of the Holy Spirit. My story of trying to be good and measuring up and not measuring up, there was an intervention of the Holy Spirit in Cromer on a beach when I was 19. But that wasn't the whole story. My family, other friends, had been praying for me, some of them daily, that I would come to faith in Jesus. In other words, the Holy Spirit was alive and active and ready for that moment on the beach in Norfolk for me. And if you have prodigals in your family, if you have people who you think, why is it that our family seemed to be straying further and further away from Jesus as I was, or as many others are, you can relax, you can breathe today, because the Holy Spirit is live and active. And every time you've prayed, every time you've broken your heart and thought, why are there these shiny Christian families who look like they've got it all sussed and we're not. By the way, as a pastor, I don't know anyone who has, so we can take a breath there as well. But actually, we can trust that those prayers that you've said are live and active, and there will be a day, God willing, there will be a day when the Holy Spirit will do the same for them as he has done for me and he has done for so many others. When um, I came to be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive him, interestingly, we were singing, or they were singing over me, and can it be? And the words have stayed with me for the rest of my life. Died he for me, who caused his pain. For me, from earth to heaven pursued, from heaven to earth pursued. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. An old hymn, but just such beautiful words that really say that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does. We were fast bound in sin. We thought there was no hope for us. And then the Holy Spirit came in and our chains fell off. And we knew that we were free from shame because of his grace. Jesus is in the business of transformation and he's transforming you even today. Even the fact that you're here, even the fact that you've, you've joined us online, even the fact that you're doing church at home, he is active and with us. I love the fact Pete Gregg, uh, head of 24-7 and a, a real amazing guy of prayer, he put even this week on Twitter, he said, I've just come to a rather lovely conclusion Maybe God is still making me. Maybe God is still making me. I love that. He said, I've just come to that this week. God's just revealed that. They didn't just make me when I was born. He's still making and remaking and moulding me by the power of his spirit. Tim Keller talks of a paediatric surgeon who's called Coop, which I think is a great name, who for a year used to sit in sermons on the balcony and critique the talk. Every single week, very bright guy, and then would feed back all the things he didn't agree with. You know, 
don't do that with me. I'm not as robust as Tim Keller. Um, but he, he would literally come up and say, didn't think that was right, that wasn't right, you got that wrong, whatever. And after a year of doing this, a really strange thing happened. He came and he just said, do you know what? I've still got loads of questions, but I'm convinced that Jesus is Lord and I belong to him. In other words, the Holy Spirit had convinced him. Now, he still had questions. That's why we have Alpha. That's why we launched that last week. And as, as Alice said, there's still room for you on that. But the Holy Spirit works through Alpha. It works through our questioning. And yes, we need to question and tussle and live with the tension of faith and doubt. But there will be people praying for you on that journey where the unsuddenlies just happen. Why? Because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because he is wanting to woo you. He's wanting to win us. And finally, the third role of the Holy Spirit, revelation and guidance. Revelation and guidance. We see, he says, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So there will be revelation. Now, we know we have the Bible, and uh, if you're learning for the first time, the Bible is a brilliant way that the Holy Spirit can reveal truth and guidance and wisdom to us. But it doesn't stop there, because we are the Bible's other people's read a reading today. He can speak to us and through us every single day by the power of his Spirit. Revelation, guidance. Even this week, as I've been preparing for this talk, God sort of said to me, well, what about you? What are you expecting me to do, Judy? And interestingly, it happened to me at a time when I was really in a hurry. It was one of these things where three, I'm on the three contract with my mobile, a guy from a call centre, goodness knows where, was trying to talk me through upgrading my contract and telling me all sorts of bells and whistles that I should need. And I was trying to be patient. He was very, very slow. And as some of you know, I like sometimes to be quick. And I was going, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds cool. Good. Yeah, okay, great. £10. Yeah, really good, good. In three minutes, fine. Not really listening properly. And I thought, Judy, just slow down. You're not really treating him particularly well. A sudden little check of the Holy Spirit to say, okay, just slow down with this guy. And so I slowed down, let him repeat everything. He didn't sell me anything else. You'll be glad to hear. But right at the end, as he was signing off, he said, can I ask you one question, please? And I thought he was going to ask me to fill in a survey, isn't he? <laughs> you know, about how well he'd done, which I did, actually. But he said, would you remember me today in your prayers? From nowhere. And I had not been a shiny... It wasn't that he heard, oh, isn't she amazing? I promise you. <laughs> Particularly at the beginning of the call. But something had happened. I don't know where in the world he was that had said, this is a person of peace. That had connected us. And he said, and I said, you know, I am a person of prayer and I will pray for you. And I was able to ask his name. Now, how random is that? But not that random because in preparation for this talk, I'd said, God, I want to be involved in a life of purpose. I want those and suddenlies. And I want to be more expectant of you. And even yesterday, I suddenly texted my neighbour after two weeks of not seeing her and said, I've got Mungo the dog here with Sebby next door. Like to come and pet the dog. He's so friendly, he's like a teddy bear. Would you like to come in? She came in, burst into tears. 
And she said, I've had two weeks of feeling so isolated as a mum, so isolated in the system with some of Sebi's needs, and just so alone. My family won't help me, and we were able to set something up. And last night, she texted me and said, Judy, I'm listening to gospel music. How strange. And again, we didn't talk about gospel music. But do you see that just in that intentionally setting our sails back into the wind of the Holy Spirit and all of us as we respond today saying, I know I'm a sinner saved by grace. Let's get out there while we still can and keep sharing this good news, participating in those moments, being in the flow of his spirit. Interestingly, this guy on Washington DC metro station on a cold January morning played the violin. He played six Bach pieces for 45 minutes. After 10 minutes, no one had stopped, and then a child, a three-year-old, came forward to try and give some money, and his mother pulled him away. And he went back, and his mother pulled him away again. And after playing for 45 minutes, beautiful Bach pieces... He stopped. There was really no money. Hardly anyone had stopped. No one knew that he was Joshua Bell, who is one of the top violinists in the world, playing one of the most amazing pieces of Bach music ever written on a violin worth over $3.5 million. People were rushing by. People, as you can see in the photo, engrossed in their own day. And yet two days before, he had sold out a Boston arena where tickets were over $100 each. They missed it. They missed the beauty of the song. And as we come to respond, I just felt that maybe that was a picture for us. Don't let's miss the tune that God is playing through our week. The fact that actually those moments of stopping, those moments of just checking in with God and saying, how can you use me here to live my life on purpose, to connect with the revelations of the Spirit, to be bold with encouragements from him. Having those moments to tune in and to stop. So as we say and breathe, as we come to these three days of prayer together, Let's just ask the Holy Spirit afresh to be live, to be active, to keep us expectant of what he can do. And let's let him reassure you today that if you have loved ones, friends and family like me, like many others, his spirit is pursuing them right now. His spirit is live and active and manoeuvring them into places where one day we believe They will bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord.